July 14th and I'm Ryan Miller, Craps Extension Educator. Earlier this morning we recorded our 13th episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly programming addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 7.30 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join the discussion and get questions answered. Please note, we will not have an episode on July 21st due to conflict with our Ag Professional Field School that is occurring on St. Paul campus. An audio recording of the live programs are released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Today's webinar was moderated by myself and fellow crops educator Dave Nikolai. On the webinar were special guests Dan Kaiser, Extension Nutrient Management Specialist with the University of Minnesota St. Paul, and Brad Carlson, Extension Educator in Nutrient Management and Water Quality. The guests and moderators discussed how the crop season is progressing and answered questions related to nutrient management. In particular, they discussed the current nitrogen status of the corn crop in the state and the use of tissue testing for nutrient management purposes. Also discussed were considerations to be made for nutrient management as we move towards next cropping season. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current crop situations as well as crop and pest management topics. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Dave Nikolai with the University of Minnesota Extension, and uh, this is the program for July 14th, uh, Strategic Farming Field Notes. We're happy that you joined our session this morning. Uh, my co-host this morning is uh, Ryan Miller out of southeastern Minnesota, and we're, our guests this morning are Brad Carlson, who is the Extension Educator based in uh, southern Minnesota, the Mankato area, and also uh, Dr. Dan Kaiser, uh, Extension Soil Fertility Specialist with the University of uh, Minnesota. We're going to take a little bit of a break here uh, in our programming. Uh, we're not going to have a field notes program next Wednesday, uh, July 21st. We will resume, however, on July 28th. Um, we'll have a break for uh, summer vacations, but also for uh, our University of Minnesota Field School which is happening on campus. And you still have time to register if you're interested for that. That will be next Tuesday and Wednesday, July 20th and 21st. So uh, once again, Strategic Farming Field Notes Program will resume uh, traditional situations here on uh, the 28th. Uh, we will talk, however, about a, an additional special programming uh, that we're thinking about in terms of the weed science area. And uh, Ryan Miller will talk about that a little bit later on in the program. Uh, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Ryan at this point in time. You want to introduce our guests a little bit more. And also the program today is on a midsummer soil fertility update uh, in the area of uh, uh, plant and crop tissue testing, as well as nitrogen needs. So Ryan. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. And, and just a reminder, folks, uh, this is very much a program for you. And so if you've got questions or comments, observations, please feel free to, to tune in with those and, uh, and send them our way so that you can help guide the discussion this morning. So again, uh, as Dave mentioned, this is kind of going to be more of a, a mid-season fertility checkup, uh, I think we were calling it, or nutrient management checkup. And so the two kind of tools people are looking at sometimes using mid-season, uh, one being tissue testing, they take some samples into the lab, get some analysis, and then maybe make a, a management decision at that point. Uh, that's, that's one thing that people are considering right now. And I know there's some of that being done out there. 
The other thing that folks have been watching, uh, some people are using these nitrogen model programs. Uh, there's a few different sources for those out there uh, to kind of manage or monitor their, their nitrogen status of their crops. And so we don't have any uh, direct input with, uh, with those models necessarily on the nitrogen status, but we do have uh, uh, two people on today, uh, Dan, Dan Kaiser, a fertility management specialist uh, in St. Paul there, and then Brad Carlson, uh, who's an extension educator in the nutrient management group and, and water resource. And, and so Brad has actually had the opportunity to kind of do a, a, a self-investigation of the nitrogen status across the, across the state of Minnesota, uh, spanning from Southwest to far Northern, almost into Canada there, Brad. Uh, so maybe, uh, maybe we'll start with you uh, with a little kind of a statewide nitrogen status update. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I, I've uh, traveled just uh, for personal reasons uh, over the last 10 days. I, I uh, was down, I wasn't to the farthest southwest part of the state, but I went down to Sherburne, kind of uh, uh, getting south of I-90 and, and uh, pushing it to the southwest and uh, back into my direction towards Mankato. And then uh, on uh, Saturday of this last weekend, I drove up to Hallock. Uh, it's beautiful this time of year. Um, and so I got to see an awful lot of crops, uh, all of the way, uh, all the way up there and all the way back. And I, I guess, uh, you know, you, you've got things kind of covered in the Southeast. I haven't really been, uh, North of the Metro area lately. I don't know, Dave, if you have, but I think the, the one thing most people are realizing this year is, is overall the the color of the corn crop is pretty deep green. It, it does not appear as though we have any significant uh, nitrogen deficiencies uh, going anywhere. Um, the, the caveat to that is uh, we do have a research trial that's not very far from our office here, maybe about 10 miles away, where we are investigating and recalibrating the uh, pre-plant soil nitrate test. Uh, uh, they're actually Dan's kind of Dan's plots, but I'm working with them. And there is some zero end rate plots there and those are looking yellow. So you can find some yellow corn where there was no nitrogen applied, but uh, pretty much beyond that, uh, anywhere that's gotten nitrogen is, is looking outstanding. Now, this isn't a uh, conversation about water stress and drought, but uh, in general, um, I did not see a lot of really severe drought symptoms with the exception of a lot of the soil types where I would expect them. Uh, being a soil scientist, I kind of know where those sandy soils are around in the state. Uh, some of those areas are looking pretty bad, uh, but most of our heavier textured soils are still holding out. Um, the, the one thing I guess you need to be thinking about uh, with the corn rooting three to, to four feet deep is if the, the surface of the uh, soil profile, the top six to 12 inches is quite dry, the corn of course is picking up its water from, from deeper areas. Uh, most of our nitrogen though is in that top area. Uh, and so it, it is conceivable that, uh, that we could end up seeing some, uh, some uh, nitrogen deficiency symptoms um, without actually having a deficit of nitrogen uh, in, in the rooting zone. But as of yet, that hasn't manifested itself. You know, Brad, Brad we were talking a little earlier, you, you mentioned about the, the long-term forecast here, or I should say medium of through the balance of July and getting into August, doesn't look right. like a lot of precipitation. Right. How does that affect that uh, corn rooting 
and nitrogen pickup if we're, we're not going to be having any more moisture or any more cold movement with precip and on what you just talked about, given given uh, the lower rainfall uh, forecast? Well, I, I guess there's there's a few things. You know, most of the nitrogen now is already converted to nitrate, and so uh, we're not you're not looking at the using the the uh, exchange process that the roots use, for instance, to pick up potassium. Um, nitrate is is primarily moved into the plant with water flow. So you know, it's one of those things where you know you talk about if we don't get rain, we're going to get this. Well, if we don't get rain, we're going to see drought stress in the crop that's going to probably outweigh the fact that whether it's able to move enough nitrogen into the plant. I guess the, the fortunate thing is, of course, is most of the corn statewide, uh, at least until you get uh, maybe just south of Moorhead, uh, is tasseled now. So the rapid growth phase of the crop is over. Um, certainly, there's still a significant amount of nitrogen to be taken up. But the majority of the nitrogen uh, that the corn needs is in the plant and, and nitrogen is a mobile nutrient. And so if it's not uh, picking it up out of the roots, it will start moving it around in the plant. So we would expect to start seeing the bottom leaves uh, die or turn yellow uh, if that starts to happen. I guess that's something to be to be on the lookout for. But, but yeah, Dave, I was just looking at the longer term forecasts uh, this morning before we came online and uh, all the way out to the one month forecast, the entire state is in the drier than normal uh, zone. Uh, so so um, I guess, uh, you know, I realize that the accuracy of those is sort of vague. Uh, you know, sometimes it's like 55%, 5% better than a coin flip, uh, but it's, you'd prefer that they were at least trending normal or maybe even wet given the fact that we've got deficit and they are, they are trending dry. So kind of a, a question, Brad, along those lines, um, if we look at the plant start to kind of cannibalize and remobilize nitrogen in the plant, you see some of those symptoms appear on some of the lower leaves. Are there good rules of thumb as far as, you know, uh, when do we have to be concerned with the, you know, like how high up that happens and at what time in the year or what plant stage? I mean, some of those kind of things, are there, are there any good kind of guidelines to when to become concerned? Well, it's important to remember that that the corn plant normally loses its lower leaves anyway. And so I think some people will want to look at a, the plant and say, you know, oh, I don't have enough nitrogen. Look at these bottom leaves. And, and that's sort of a natural thing. Uh, in fact, we usually say that if, if it's really green all the way to the ground, you over fertilized because the plant just simply doesn't need that much nitrogen. Uh, really, when when the the, um, the the yellow leaves start extending up towards the ear, that's when we start getting concerned. If it if it reaches the ear, um, then we're probably thinking that maybe the plant doesn't have enough. But uh, if it's if it's yellow below the ear, it's it's not a huge concern unless it's it's looking severe. Okay, and so there are some things that I think we had discussed earlier. Maybe having another session later, later into the you know, August kind of time frame about uh, doing some of these assessments. But are there things that growers can consider uh, to do to kind of validate uh, where they were at with their nitrogen status? Did they hit the mark, or were they short? That kind of thing. This is going to be an extremely difficult year to interpret that because the loss processes of nitrogen are all water-based and when we don't have a lot of water, we're not losing nitrogen, which is a good thing. 
of course, uh, we don't want to lose nitrogen either to the water or into the air. But it also means with uh, between the, the fertilizer applied and mineralized nitrogen out of the organic matter in the soil profile, we're probably accumulating more nitrogen than the plant needs. You know, again, we talked about whether there's enough water to move that nitrogen into the plant. Uh, but regardless, uh, we probably have excess nitrogen uh, in the form of nitrates in the soil profile right now, um, which will make it difficult to interpret um, whether or not you've, you've just simply got a uh, abundance or accumulation of nitrogen because it's dry or whether you over fertilized, you know, and, and, and so it's going to be very difficult interpreting that uh, this year. I, I would expect, um, you know, particularly if, if it gets, uh, if we get some timely precipitation, um, I would expect that a lot of, for instance, the, the basal stock nitrate tests that are run this year are all going to probably look either good or even look high. Uh, and in addition to that, I would also expect that if we do any uh, post-season soil sampling for soil nitrates, I would expect those numbers to come back relatively high. You know, uh, Brad, just one must maybe segue in before we talk to Dan. Talk a little bit about the timing of when that basal test should be run and really what does it show us versus waiting till the fall and, and doing a soil, you know, deep nitrate test kind of what, where's the pros and cons of both of those? Yeah, well, that, it's, it's, it's usually collected uh, just uh, prior to, to harvest. Uh, the, the Dan, Dan actually could comment a little better on the, the perfect timing of that. But as far as the interpretation of the numbers goes, it's actually not well calibrated uh, for precision because there's a lot of variety differences in how those numbers turn out. Uh, but usually um, we say that it's, it's fairly good at telling you, uh, one, whether your plant was deficient uh, on nitrogen, and two, whether you uh, applied excessive nitrogen and there was luxury consumption within the plant. Now, like I said, this year, I I would expect potentially those numbers to all look high. And so if you've not been collecting samples over a longer time frame, uh, to be able to compare this numbers to uh, previous years, if you only took the numbers this year, uh, I would not uh, go out on a limb and say, this means I apply too much nitrogen fertilizer. I would take it in context. So I guess along those lines though, Brad, that, you know, the, the, you know, and I guess we probably should add Fabian for this, but uh, as far as mineralization, we're, you know, if we were really dry most of the year, you know, you would expect probably a little lower mineralization rates. And so, I don't know, I'm, I'm just kind of throwing that one out there. I don't see how you handle it. Yeah, sort of. I guess I'm not a soil microbiologist, but uh, you know, we 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 have not uh, dried the soil to the point where we're 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 like the desert, where there's no uh, no microbial life. You know, this stuff is happening happening on a pretty microscopic scale, uh, and there's still a fair amount of of water. Um, it may be held fairly tightly to the soil particles, uh, but 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 it's still there. Uh, so, um, yeah, may, maybe the min the amount overall amount of nitrogen mineralizing may be reduced 
uh, to an extent uh, when it's dry like this, but it, it certainly hasn't uh, hasn't stopped as a process. We, we haven't shut down biological activity in the soil, no. you're saying. So that's correct. Uh, yeah. So, Brad, another kind of hot topic, uh, you know, adaptive nitrogen management, you know, kind of a buzzword almost. Uh, uh, but this year, it looks like there might be there might be the room for some adaptive management, particularly for those parts of the state where you know, fall nitrogen applications aren't an uncommon practice. And, uh, and so what do you, what are you thinking there with, uh, if people want to make some adjustments or some. Yeah. Well, management? again, because I, I think we've got more than adequate amount of night amounts of nitrogen, uh, in the soil profile, um, the dry conditions is definitely one of the, uh, scenarios where we recommend, uh, investigating, whether there is nitrogen remaining in the soil profile and crediting that nitrogen uh, when you do your fertilizer application. Um, you know, the, the, the dealers are gonna be calling guys here probably in within a month or so, if not, maybe some of them have jumped the gun already to start talking about fall applications. Um, this is potentially a year where you could cut back on your, your total uh, application. Um, the problem is, of course, is the nitrogen is going to be present in the form of nitrate and nitrate still is, is subject to loss to water. And we don't, you know, we, we have no idea what it's going to be like in March next year, you know? So crediting nitrogen that's still present in October, um, is not a sure thing that it's going to be there, you know, one year from now when the crop needs it, which is really what we're talking about, um, but on the other hand, you know, the, the ability to come back and side dress, top dress in season does actually allow us to dial back our rates if you want to, to do a fall application and then evaluate what the weather has been like. Because if it remains relatively dry, if we don't see uh, saturated soil conditions, for instance, we're probably not going to, to experience significant nitrogen loss and you can credit that nitrogen. You know, so if you say put on like a half rate this fall, uh, and then and then you know do a do a soil test and see what's there, um, and so forth, and then watch what the weather is like coming into spring, coming into the early part of the growing season next year, you can come back and then supplement whatever is necessary up to a full rate if you need to at at side dress top dress time. So so uh, uh, dry conditions do lend themselves fairly well for. Um, adapting your management uh, based on these weather conditions. And like you said, Brad, I know a, a few weeks back we had Dennis Toddy on and he talked about some work he had done, uh, a climatologist uh, with, uh, you know, dry, droughty kind of uh, conditions, hot, dry conditions in the summer don't necessarily correlate well to what the fall and winter conditions are going to be like. And well, he's already heard some early talk of a snowier than normal uh, winter this this year. Uh, you know, of course, we'll see how that pans out. But so again, good point. So we, where we can make some adjustments to to what we're doing and and maybe be uh, more prudent uh, managers of nitrogen. Do want to take a quick uh, break uh, over to Dan uh, Kaiser? We did mention that we had talked a little bit about uh, tissue testing, and. Uh, Dan, you know, oftentimes people get the tissue test, uh, they'll go out and do one and, uh, and they'll get the get a analysis done and then 
based on that analysis, they might make the decision to apply a nutrient that showed up low or, or, or whatnot. And uh, I don't know, Dan, if you just want to make some general uh, comments about tissue testing, uh, particularly given this year being so hot and dry, is, are there any concerns with uh, how we take a test and how, how do we interpret those sort of things um, in the current condition? Well, certainly with these um, hot and drier conditions, I mean, there are a few nutrients we would suspect that we're going to see more of an issue, uh, particularly with lower numbers, one being potassium um, and the other being some of the micros, boron, probably I would, I would suspect that with limited mineralization, we'd also see some lower numbers. The question really, though, is how much of uh, some of the variation that we're, we're seeing in some of these numbers are related to the environmental conditions and how that plant's interacting versus you know, whether that nutrient is um, actually deficient. And that's one of the things that I always think about with, with tissue testing, when we start looking at the limits, uh, particularly for sufficiency limits, um, you know, how concrete those things are. And you can kind of point back to soil tests is the same, you know, issue. Um, for example, if we say that you know, 11 is a medium, you know, you have a soil test as a 10, is it really all that much different? Um, the difference between soil tests versus plant tissue tests is we've got far more information um, with yield data to back up some of those, those limits versus plant tissue tests. And that's one of the things that really concerns me a lot on the interpretation side is we, we treat these things as very concrete numbers, which I think there's, there's much more variation with tissue tests. And Always the question in my mind is how much can we correct these things? And that's, I think, one of the challenges to most growers is you get this data back, you get this nice red area on it that says you're deficient. Now, what do you, what do you want to do? And that's one of the things I really caution because I don't think once we get into season this late that there is really a whole lot we can do. Now we are at you know, more of the optimal time uh, for sampling of some of the crops. Um, I know with corn likely, we're gonna have more sampling done around V10 because I don't think anybody wants to be in a field in a quarter section field trying to take leaf samples, uh, particularly in the middle part of the field at this time of the year. Beans, um, really full flower is really kind of the limit. Uh, once we start getting um, really beyond silking and, and getting to pod set for, for uh, beans, um, you know, full silking for corn, we start to see a lot of these numbers drop. And that's one of the things I would suggest if you are taking samples late, just make sure you, um, you're up to date on your crop staging and make sure you know what stage you're at because it's one of the things that these things um, really, a lot of these databases are tied to specific sampling times. So that's one of the, the things that you just wanna know when you're sampling, just to make sure how comparable the numbers you are to whatever, whatever uh, sufficiency levels you're using um, or what database you're using for your sufficiency levels for the interpretation. You know, Dan, um, you alluded to there's different motivation for taking these tissue testing. Some, some people do it on a, uh, on a regular basis, you know, every year in fields versus, you know, taking a more diagnostic approach. Would you recommend though, uh, that if they do have a tissue sample back and they're not really sure about how to interpret that, that they consider going back into those same areas, if, if possible, with a soil test to, to validate before they try to make their, you know, 2022 soil fertility plans and beyond? Well, Dave, I mean, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, really getting a soil test out of some of these areas 
would be beneficial because that's going to be better for the calibration side, particularly if you're trying to figure out what to do or how much fertilizer to apply. I mean, if you're looking at areas or problem areas of the field, I mean, I mean, tissue testing is a really good way to start to say, okay, what, what potentially is my issue? And then to take that next step forward, then to see, okay, what do I need to do then to try to correct that issue? So it's not the only tool. And that's one of the, the things I really stress. And again, in season, particularly with annual crops, it just becomes really difficult to make um, anything that's gonna be corrective enough to correct the deficiency within that year, unfortunately. So it's, it's one of the things that go back in, reevaluate, and then it's a really good time to do that now because if you're starting to talk to your uh, fertilizer supplier about making decisions for next year, you can start seeing whether or not you need to make changes in some areas of field that might be particularly low in a, in a nutrient. So along those lines, Dan, if, if we do do a tissue test and we see something, uh, one of our major nutrients being deficient, uh, uh, are there any cautionary uh, notes there as far as now I come into fall? For most of us in Southern Minnesota, at least, uh, we've been abnormally dry. I mean, several inches behind the normal precip each month. Uh, and I, if I come into fall to do some uh, soil testing, and do I need to, to use any caution when I'm interpreting uh, those results? Well, tissue tests, certainly. I mean, the one I'm really expecting probably to see issues with, depending on how dry we are in the fall, will be potassium. You know, and we saw that last year um, with some of our samples taken, particularly around Waseca, that, you know, the potassium just seemed to disappear. Now, some of those plots are showing deficiencies. It isn't as severe as I thought it would be. But um, that's one that I would, I would just keep an eye on. Um, and then it's going to be just what happens next spring, because that's one that's really affected by moisture. And um, it can be challenging, um, you know, particularly with fall samples that um, we know a portion of the potassium that the plant gets is going to be recycled out of the residue. And if we don't get a lot of rainfall, um, you know, September, October, we're not going to see, particularly in situations um, you know, following corn that we're going to see a lot um, at best. Generally, we see maybe 50, 60 percent of the cave being recycled out of the residue in a year where we get um, you know, excessive rainfall. You get these years that are dry and it just may not be there. So that's going to be, I think, the thing on the interpretation side is how accurate some of these tests are going to be. But I know a lot of you are going to be limited by really if you're putting fall fertilizer on, you've got to get the test taken. And it's really better to have it than not. So I think that's one of the things I would suspect. Phosphorus shouldn't be an issue. Um, and nitrate, you know, last year we had quite a few fields with fall nitrates we pulled after some of our corn trials. Um, you know, one in particular, the one I had at Madison Lake working with Brad, that just wasn't anything there. So we'll see what happens this year. I would suspect those numbers are going to be a lot higher this year just based on the conditions we've had. Particularly for nitrate, hay might be uh, still on the low side. So, uh, Dan, back along the nitrate uh, issue side of things, there was a question that came in regarding the soybeans and residual nitrates in the soil. And, and at what level do you become uh, concerned with, you know, not wanting to go back to uh, soybeans? And, and I, assuming the major risk factor here, Brad and I had a couple of comments back and forth, uh, would be related to IDC and nitrate. And so I don't know if you want to make, make any comments on, on that particular issue? And maybe we could get the person that has the question to follow up what their uh, location is, because that'd be extremely helpful in, in uh, kind of addressing the issue. 
Well, a lot of the IDC issue is going to be really related. I mean, I think a lot of our problems really are that the late season mineralization when corn's kind of shut down. Um, but the areas where IDC are a problem, if it truly is a nitrate issue, I mean, those areas typically are high in, in organic matter and there's not a lot you can do about it anyway. I mean, really planting a defensive variety should be, or an IDC tolerant variety should be, you know, kind of the first line and in terms of an actual level, which I'd be concerned of nitrate, we just don't have that calibrated to know that because there's, I mean, IDC is one of those things that there's so many factors that, that come into play. And while we know nitrate is an issue, that um, it's, it's not the sole issue. Um, in terms of, you know, I do get questions on residual nitrates. Um, you know, what's a good normal level for most fields if you're going to corn? You know, we generally pick up within the top two feet around, you know, 40 pounds or so is a good average following soybean that, um, you know, it's, it's typically what I'd say would probably give me my more average MRTNs. We've been seeing though in some of the areas where we've been seeing higher than normal nitrogen requirements, those, those levels have been, you know, 20, 30 ppm. So, you know, if it's, a, it's an issue where you're asking related to corn, um, you know, we probably have a better idea in terms of what our long-term averages have been um, and in the areas where we've had, you know, issues with, um, you know, nitrogen not being sufficient. If it's an IDC issue, the numbers just aren't calibrated. I just would start with a defensive variety and then go from there um, is, is really the, the, the best uh, really thing that you're going to be doing. Okay, good. good. Probably good. the other thing that's it's worth mentioning in that that note is uh, you know one of the defenses against that that we've also looked at in the past is to incorporate a cover crop into that crop rotation to maybe plant some oats in there uh, that can pick up some of that free nitrate and then be sprayed out uh, before it gets to be a weed problem. Okay. Uh, good point there, Dan. Uh, I'm going to try something here. I have, I've not done this yet, but uh, Carrie has their hand up, and uh, I'm going to uh, allow to talk. Um, maybe that just disappeared. So it did. Yeah, they, I yeah, saw they, that. It was up, and they, so maybe they accidentally hit a button. And, uh, anyways, yeah, I have a question. Hand is now down. So, anyways, oh, I guess there, we there won't is. allow him to talk. <laughs> Dan, real briefly, you know, you, Tissue testing, just to uh, kind of sum this up, do you have a higher confidence level with some of the macronutrients than with trying to identify micronutrient needs with tissue testing? You just want to talk about that in, in generalities in trying to uh, utilize that as a, as a tool uh, for either problems or recommendations for next year, micros versus macros? Well, macros are a lot easier because we've got a, a better database if you, relating um, crop yield or relative yield or deviation from maximum yield in a field relative to a tissue concentration. And that's really, again, the challenge with micros is if we can't get consistent yield increases that we can identify with plots with and without a micro, it becomes very hard to tell you whether or not that number that somebody's telling you is deficient is actually deficient. We just really don't know. And the other thing I've seen more consistently with micros is that we see more correlation with the macros. So if nitrogen is deficient, all of a sudden then you can have deficiencies in other nutrients just because that plant isn't very efficient at taking up anything. So that's one of the things that um, interpretation is always a problem, you know, particularly with micros. I mean, the databases, I think a lot of them that were developed essentially are just databases where they've averaged together a large number of samples and giving you kind of the mean of what they found these concentrations to be. And then they do some uh, statistics and 
to generate what is the actual sufficiency level, but there's really no yield data behind it. And that is, I think the, the main thing is I want confidence that the number at X, that there's gonna be a yield efficiency. And if there isn't, I mean, then why bother really looking at it? And we just, again, with micros, we don't have a good handle on that. We also don't have a good handle on some of the soil tests other than zinc. I mean, zinc is the one that we have some really, uh, some, some good data in the state showing, you know, kind of what those critical thresholds are with your soil test. But I just really suggest that a soil test is taken if you're trying to make an interpretation of what to do, particularly with fertilizer applications for the next year, because that's gonna be more accurate to tell you at least how much to apply. Excellent. Uh, well, I guess we're, we're kind of approaching the end here uh, and, and don't wanna keep people too long. We like to stick to that half hour format and uh, good discussion this morning though, uh, folks. And uh, thanks for the question out there. Um, and I do want to make mention, uh, again, repeat that, uh, and thanks for you listening out there. Thanks to the speakers for being on. Uh, but I do want to make mention that next week, July 21st, we will be off uh, the air, so to speak. Uh, we have Ag Professional Field School in St. Paul. Uh, again, there's opportunities still to sign up for that if you'd like. Uh, most of us are going to be involved with that, so we will not be on the air. Uh, we will be coming back with our normal program then on July 28th, uh, Wednesday morning again, 7.30. Uh, something that is in the works, uh, don't have the full details yet, uh, but uh, there's been a lot of talk about cupping soybeans uh, and, and symptomology similar to growth regulator. Uh, and there's uh, one of these programs is going to be put together kind of a special edition. Uh, uh, looks like it's going to be coming out here probably the end of this week. Um, and I don't have the full details on that, but if you're tuned into our crop news uh, and get those announcements, I'm sure it'll be promoted through that avenue as well as, as others. Uh, and so Stay tuned, uh, that is kind of in the works. Uh, a lot of people have been seeing some issues and, and we want to kind of have a, a broader discussion and get people to weigh in too, what they're seeing out there to get a kind of a feel for what's the, what might be happening out there. So Dave, anything else? No, that, that'll be good. Just stay tuned for your crop news for announcements for that uh, on, the, on the herbicide uh, issues and concerns and soybeans, uh, but also our regular programming, like you said, will we'll resume on uh, on the 28th. Well, we want to thank our guests today, uh, Brad Carlson, University of Minnesota Extension Educator in Crops and uh, Nutrients and Water Resources, and uh, Dr. Dan Kaiser, uh, Extension Soil Fertility Specialist uh, in uh, the areas of uh, corn and soybean, et cetera, um, and uh, in other crops that he's been you know, working with currently uh, on St. Paul campus. Uh, and again, when you leave today, you'll have an opportunity to do the three question survey at the end of the program. Uh, we encourage you to do that uh, at this point in time. So thanks again, uh, both to Brad and Dan. And Ryan, uh, I, I this at this point, keep watching your crop news. Uh, those are the, the words to the wise, uh, so to speak, for not only discussions about this program, but other topics as well. well thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone, for doing this today. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.